here's what uh, God wants to do with us today. He wants to give us a multiplication mindset. And he wants to breathe on us. We've already had stuff today saying that he wants to invite others in. He wants to grow us. And today, I believe that starts with our thinking. It starts with our minds. There's a verse in Romans 12, verse 2, that says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're not to be conformed to worldly ways of thinking, but to be conformed to what God wants us to think and how God wants us to think. And here's the news. God wants us to think bigger. He wants us to think more about what his kingdom looks like. For some of us here today, he wants us to think more of Jesus. For some of us here today, we don't really know who Jesus is. And he wants to transform our thinking so that we see Jesus as who he is. And for some of us, he wants to transform the way we look at ourselves and our own lives and the plan and the mission he has for us. So wherever you are at today... There's stuff in this for you that we're going to look at. And we're going to be uh, looking at a a passage from Acts chapter 11 about the early church. And as we do this, I'm also going to be reflecting on something of our vision as kings and where God's taken us from and where he's taking us to in this next few months as we get invitational together. Here's just a thought for you before we read this verse. It strikes me that Jesus had to spend an awful lot of work just getting his disciples to change the way they think. And the biggest challenge in your life today will be changing the way you think. When 5,000 people were saying, we're starving, the disciples said, I've got an idea, let's send them away. And Jesus said, no, let's multiply some bread. That's how he wanted them to think. When a blind man called Bartimaeus was by the edge of the road shouting, please heal me, they said, can you be quiet, please? And Jesus said, no, no, that's not what we do in this kingdom. We heal them. He wanted to multiply their thinking. And today he wants to multiply your thinking too. And this is a a remarkable story in Acts chapter 11 of some Christians, some ordinary Christians who took God at his word and started to think bigger about what he might do through their lives. So let's read together from Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, And began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number, say great number, great number number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is a story about multiplication. It's a story of how the original church in Jerusalem, which was just one church with thousands and thousands of people in it, became that church plus another church in Antioch. And then it began to spread throughout the whole world as churches began to multiply. There's now about 2.2 billion Christians around the world. And that has happened because Christians have had multiplication thinking. Every time you walk past a church building in Edinburgh, which there's about five on every street, it's a story of multiplication. It's a story of somebody saying, we need, we need another church. We need something new here. And all around the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. Now, King's Church here has been a a story of multiplication in many ways. So we started uh, about 17 and a half years ago. 
And we began in a, in a small house. In a, the adults met in the living room. It was led by Matthew Clifton Brown and Anne. At that time, they planted this church. And, and the parents and the adults all met in the lounge, and the kids met in the kitchen for kids' work. We didn't do risk assessments in those days. <laughs> Nobody thought, why are we putting the children in the room with the sharp knives and the blenders and the toasters? But by God's grace, nothing happened. <laughs> but we did grow. And then we moved to Craig Lockhart Leisure Centre. And by God's grace, we continued to grow. And then we moved to Napier University, Merkiston Campus, top floor lecture theatre on the sixth floor. And we thought, surely nobody will ever find us here. And they couldn't. Nobody could find us. Even our church people couldn't find us there. But by God's grace, we grew. And then we moved to a school at Tollcross, where for a number of years, God just kept adding people to us. People would get saved. People would get baptized. People would come and join us. And then uh, about nine years ago, we'd just bought a building across the other side of town, a little building, an office, and a small meeting place. And then somebody came and brought a prophecy to us, and they said, God wants to give you a building. And we were like, yeah, that was old news. That was like last year. But do you know what? 12 months later, we'd bought this building. It was remarkable. It was so we got this building for, for less than the, the flat next door. It cost 400,000 pounds. It was a remarkable story of God multiplying our resources in this city. And over that time, God multiplied the number of people we had. He multiplied the number of uh, different demographics represented. He multiplied the number of students we had. He multiplied the number of young people that we've had. We used to have about three young people from one family. And now we've got around 20 young people who are all out for their group this morning. About two years ago, in fact, two years this Sunday, we multiplied from being one church into two churches. We sent a, a group out, 20 people and about 300 kids, and we sent them to Livingston to go and plant a church. It wasn't really 300 kids. It, was, it just felt that way, you know. And, and they're doing great. I was just there last week, and, and that's been a remarkable success. They're really meeting together, and they're impacting their community in very different ways than we would here, but they're God's grace is with them. It's a story of multiplication. And this last year or so, we've, we've had these five phrases we've been uh, buzzing with, uh, which we call the five alls. And uh, here's some of the phrases that we've been using. The, the, our vision, we, we want to be a church that, that reaches all kinds of people. It's a church for all. We want to be reaching all sorts of different people. We want to be a church that reaches all of Edinburgh, not just saying we're just into this locality, but all of it. We want to be a church where all of us are all in with our hearts and lives, serving Jesus fully. A church that preaches all of the gospel in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and experiencing the Spirit and demonstrating that gospel through works of care for those around us. And a church that goes into all of the world, saying that whether that's church planting or whether that's just going into our neighborhoods or our workplaces and being salt and light there, that's what God's called us to do. He's called us to multiply our thinking. Now, here's the question I want to ask from Acts chapter 11. What was it? about those Christians who went to Antioch that made them change the entire city and the world from that point on? What was it about their thinking that transformed everything? Because if we're going to be a church that does those things behind me, then we need to be a church that has our thinking aligned with that of those early Christians. And I've got an acronym for you. Here's the acronym, WORD, because it says in those verses you read that they went to Antioch and they spread the word of the Lord. So here's the acronym. I know you love acronyms, don't you? 
And uh, I know you like it because I've heard reports back from small groups that you sit there trying to remember what they stood for. And then you come up with much better words that they could have been because I'm less good at this than you, it seems. But anyway, so here's, here's the first one. Here's the four things about the Antioch church that, uh, that, that, that gripped them and changed the way they thought. Here's the first one. They understood that what they had was wildly important news. Say wildly important. Wildly important. Isn't that... This is what the gospel is. It's wildly important. It says they, they went telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, I say wildly because you, you have to differentiate these days, don't you? Because everything's important. Everything's good. Everybody's trying to tell you that something's good or something's important. You've probably come to university and somebody's told you, you know, it's good to get an education. It's really important. That's going to set you apart in terms of future career prospects. And it is good and it is important. Politics is important. Brexit's important. But then these things have to be relative to one another. I was chatting to one of my children a few years ago now, and I got in from work, and they looked at me, their face was slightly pale, and they said, Dad, I've got something to tell you. And I thought, what is this? They were only like five at the time or something. And he looked at me in the eyes and said, Dad, the tooth fairy isn't real. And I, I had to sit down and I said, what? this is news to me also, Ben. And uh, it, it, see, it, in a small developing mind, those things are important. But you know what? The gospel of Jesus is supremely important. It's the most important message on the planet right now. It's more important than anything else that could fill our minds, and it's wildly good news. The angels announced it as good news of great joy for all the people. And here's what those early Christians understood. Here they were. They were fleeing from persecution. This is how the story begins. Those who were scattered by persecution. They've lost their homes. They've lost their livelihood. They've lost everything. Yet their first instinct in a new place is to start telling people what they've got. That's to say that if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you've lost everything, you've still got everything. Because that's how important this news is. And you know, Christians who are filled with this knowledge and live in the joyful knowledge of what it is to be saved, what it is to know God, are the most effective witnesses on the planet. I remember, um, some of you new to university here, and uh, I remember when I first started university, and I remember a sort of tearful farewell with parents, and then I remember going into my uh, hall of residence room and just feeling a little bit alone, and then walking into the room opposite where I met a new guy called Alex, and I spotted the guitar in the corner of his room. And I said, oh, you play the guitar? And he said, yeah, you? I said, yeah. And then we clocked each other. We said, Christians. And it was the amazing thing. We both knew Jesus. And it was a remarkable time because actually right away we had a ready-made friendship happening. And there was others on our corridor who you know, we were getting to know. And over time, we'd be able to invite them into our little community. And sometimes we'd have a Bible study after dinner. We'd say, so we're just doing a Bible study. And people on our corridor would say, well, could we, could we come and join you? We'd say, of course we can. Of course you can. And we'd, we'd look at the Bible with them. Sometimes we'd go into the Hall of Residence Bar 
And on, on a Saturday night, and people were pretty uh, full of the spirit of a different kind, <laughs> and we'd invite them to church the next morning. And because they weren't really thinking straight, they'd say, yeah, I'll come. So we'd go and knock on their door the next morning. <laughs> and some of them would come. <laughs> but you know, the, the real story from that first year for me was, uh, I met Julie, my wife, and... Um, uh, but that, I mean, that was a later story. But she was Julie Dawson back then. And Julie had become a Christian just a few days before coming to university. And she'd become a Christian in a different country. And, and she'd never, ever met a Christian in the UK before in all her life. To the point where she was deeply suspicious that none existed. And even if she met a Christian, she was like, yeah, I'm not sure you've got what I've got. Because she was so filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of the good news that it had changed her life. And do you know what? That, that just started being quite infectious. We were just counting up the other day that in the course of between one and two years, Julie had led five people to Christ, including her, uh, a friend on her corridor, including a friend off her course, including an old school friend, uh, including her mum and the, the, friend of, uh, the friend on her corridor. And here's what one or two of them said. They said, you know, the thing that really made us think about this was what God had done in Julie Dawson's life. That's what the gospel does. It changes us. So that's why I'm pushing this point today, because some of us are feeling a little bit joyless this morning. And the reason we feel joyless is because we forget how good this news is for us. So today I want to remind you, here's something I found in an old Bible that I used to have when I was a teenager, and somebody did a Bible study with me to remind me how good it was to be a Christian. Are you ready for this? I just photographed it. Put the next slide up, please, Jason. Thank you. And uh, I thought, this is good. This is going to come in handy in later life. So feel free to take a photo if it's good for you as well. Here's what it looks like for you without Christ and you with Christ in your life. And here's what the Bible says that I was dead, Dan Hudson was dead in my sins, that I was defiled, it's an old-fashioned word, it just means contaminated. I was enslaved by sin, unable to get free. I was blinded by Satan. I faced God's judgment in eternity, and I was cut off from God. That's how it was for me, and that's how it is for anybody who doesn't know Jesus. But with Christ, this is the good news. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. That means it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's just as if I'd always obeyed before a holy God. He counts me right in his sight. I'm cleansed. I'm reconciled to God. I'm born again. I'm part of his family. I'm a son of God. And here's the wonderful thing. In eternity, I am headed for heaven. This is where it's going for me because of Jesus. Now, I think that's good news. I don't know about you. I think it's good news for you if you're a Christian here today. And this can be great news for you if you put your trust in Jesus today. Rejoice in the good news and you will become a joy-filled Christian. For some of you, you say, oh, I just want to get this more in my life. There's a prayer that David prayed in the Psalms. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Perhaps you need to pray that prayer today. Believe what God says about you. Receive the joy of the Holy Spirit. Often in Acts, they were receiving the Holy Spirit and it filled them with joy. 
Let me just invite you to something that's happening in October. Uh, it's an event we're calling Together for Scotland. It's a celebration of all of the New Frontiers churches. That's the kind of stream of churches that we belong to in Scotland. And we're all coming together for a day on Saturday, October the 26th. And here's why that's going to be good. I want to invite all of you to be there. Because we're going to be reminded of how good this good news is. And how important it is that we take this to Scotland and to the ends of the earth. And it's going to be brilliant. We're working with, with spheres from right across New Frontiers to put on this event. We're going to have full-on kids' work. We're going to have everything to make this as accessible as possible for as many of us. Because we know that most of you can't get to many conferences and all of those things. Come on that day. It's going to be a really upbuilding, strengthening day for you and for us. Okay, so first one, W was... Very good, wildly, wildly good, wildly important. I got that slightly mixed up, didn't I? Anyway, here's the second one. Here's O. You ready for O? Ordinary people. Say ordinary. ordinary. Now, here's the thing about you and me and the Christians in Antioch. They were totally ordinary. It doesn't even tell us their names. It's not Peter, James, John, the apostles. They're all stuck in Jerusalem. These people are simply called those I think that includes a few normal people. I, I think that includes a few diverse personality types, some introverts and extroverts, some people who are good with people, some who are really poor with people. I think it includes people who get anxious, people who get afraid, people who hate crowds, people who, who, who love being by themselves. I think it included all of those people, yet these were the people, ordinary people. Do you feel ordinary today? I, I know there's a conflict there because... Our mums tell us that we're special. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> and we are. God knitted us together in our mother's womb, didn't he? He made us. But the truth is this. If everybody's special, then that's the new ordinary. Because <laughs> we're all special. Which makes us all ordinary. But here's the thing that distinguished this group of disciples. Is this, they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were different because... They went on a mission with God, and God was with them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They were just following the script, and God did his part in being with them. There's a, a, there's a, a plumber in the 19th century called Smith Wigglesworth. He came from Bradford. And nobody knows him as a plumber because he became a, a remarkable worker of miracles in the church. He saw remarkable healings. He saw cancers removed. He saw paralyzed people come out of their wheelchairs. People knew that God was with him. And, and one time, somebody says, how, how, do you, how do you do this? How do, you, how do you have this kind of faith? And he said this, in me is working a power stronger than every other power. The life that is in me is a thousand times bigger than I am on the outside. Wow, that power is in you as well. A thousand times bigger than what people might perceive of you because God is in you and God is with you. Okay, that's O, oh, ordinary people. Say ordinary. Say wildly important. Okay, third one, radical community. 
So this is what we read about them. On that day, this is Acts 8 verse 1. It's, the, it's the, where it tells us where these people came from. A persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Who were these people? They weren't just some random people who didn't know each other, who were just on a mission with Jesus by themselves. They were part of a formed community who knew and loved each other. They came from Jerusalem, which arguably, as far as I'm aware, was the best church in all of history. Do you know what I mean by that? In the Jerusalem church, they had thousands and thousands saved, yet they also had very close community with one another. It says in the book of Acts that they they met in one another's homes. They broke bread together. They prayed for one another. They cared for one another. And here's other remarkable things that happened. When members of that community got into poverty, there were other members who said, you know what, I've got some stuff I could sell. I've got a field I could sell. I've got a property I could sell. And they would just come and bring it to the church leaders and they'd say, here you go. Here's some money. Why don't you just give it to whoever needs it? (laughs) This is amazing. This was more than friends looking out for friends. This wasn't just me looking out for people who I knew. This was something much, much bigger than that. It was the church of Jesus. You know, there's a great fear of institution today. And rightly so, because often institutions can be found to be corrupt and organizations are distrustworthy. And and what do they want with our data anyway? But here's the thing. The church of Jesus isn't organized religion. It's God's methodology. It's God's beloved bride. It's the thing that, according to Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Do you know, uh, the Apostle Paul, who was an enemy of the church, ironically, he came on to lead the very church that we're now seeing planted in Acts. But he, he was anti-God, anti-church, and he went around persecuting Christians. Jesus had ascended to heaven by this point, and he was at the right hand of the Father. But do you know, there was something that got Jesus out of heaven, and talking to Paul. And you know, it was this, that when Paul started to persecute the church, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And do you know what he said to him? He said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Is that what he said? No, what did he say? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's how Jesus feels about his church. He says, it's like me. It's me. Friends here today, I want to encourage you to make sure that you don't sell yourself short of true Christian maturity and true Christian experience by living your life in this individualistic world where it's just about you and Jesus. Of course, it's you and Jesus. But you'll only ever come to maturity in your faith amongst other Christians and in real life with real Christians. That's why we talked about small groups earlier. That's so important. I want to invite you to join a small group because we do life together. People who are different to you, people you don't know, people you don't have much in common with sometimes. But you know what? I've heard again and again people saying, I didn't like this person at first, but we became great friends because that's what God does in his kingdom. And that's what he can do in your life as well. Let me... um, 
I just felt God wanted me to say to you if, you, if you're here in Scotland for the first time and you're away from home and you're from another country, I, I, I just felt that God wanted me to just say to you, welcome home. Welcome home. You might feel a long way from home, but this is my prayer for you as you come to Edinburgh that, that you found, find a family away from your family, that you find a home away from your home, that in Christ you find a dozen brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children because home is such a different concept when you're part of the kingdom of God. Welcome home, if that's you today. Here's the fourth and final thing. So, you're with me. Wildly important, ordinary, radical community. And D, here we go, the big D, the end, deliberate obedience. Uh, So, you can't help but feel when you read these verses that there is a kind of cheeky daredevil spirit in these Christians. It, it told us that some of them went and did, they did a great thing, they went and shared their faith with some people who they thought would receive. But then some of them, however, I love the however. It means some of them thought, I'm not going to do it that way, I'm going to do it this way. But they were driven by this sense of obedience to the Great Commission that Jesus hadn't said simply go to the Jews, he'd said go to the whole world. And so some of them, however, said we're going to step outside of the boundaries that our culture and even our own friends say is acceptable and we're going to take a walk and find some different people. And they were deliberate. Their hearts had been enlarged and so they went beyond the boundaries. And they had two strategies. I think these were the two things. They were intentionally invitational and they were deliberately diverse in their thinking. They deliberately invited people in. They deliberately went to people who were unlike them. I want to suggest if we're going to be a church, if we're going to be Christians who see God's kingdom coming, we need to also think, God, will you help me to cross cultural barriers so that others might hear the good news? And let me just say a couple of things, particularly as they relate to us as kings in this next season. Because we want to get good at this. We want to be deliberate. We want to be intentional. And we want to encourage you to be intentional. There's a few things that we're doing. We've heard some of them mentioned already today. But let me just explain something of the heart behind them. Here's the first one, the the, the quiz night that, uh, that has been talked about. We realize increasingly that people in our culture start a long, long, long way back from church and Jesus. Most people that we meet haven't been to church. They don't know who Jesus is. There's a deep distrust in them because of what they read in the media and what they suspect that Christians believe. Therefore, we think it's really important to have events where you can just invite a friend or a colleague and they're not going to get a a, a preach or a a message or leaflets thrust under their nose. They're just going to experience something of a joy-filled community doing a quiz together. And I want to encourage you to invite your friends, invite your colleagues, invite uh, anybody you know, form a team, do it as a small group together, invite people. Let's make this work and let's make this nothing. There'll be no Bible round. But somebody will get up at something and say, you know what, we'd love you to come to church one time or we'd love you to come on the Alpha course. That's all that will be said. Use that event 
We're going to do one of these such events each term over this next 12 months as a centralized event that we can do together. Here's, uh, here's another thing that you can invite people to, the, uh, the Alpha course, uh, which, as Viv said, if you've ever had a conversation with somebody at work or at home or in your stairwell or something, and, and, and it's got past that thing of them realizing you're a Christian and they've asked you a question and said, oh, what does Christians believe about this? This is a great thing to bring them to. And there'll be food, and there'll be discussion, and they'll be watching the Alpha Film Series videos, which are totally brilliant. And they don't have to sign up for the whole thing. It could be today that you're not sure of what you believe. This is a great place for you to come on Thursday night, starting on the 3rd of October. Here's... The third thing, thinking a bit ahead. I know uh, Chris uh, had a bit of a shiver when we mentioned Christmas earlier. But uh, here's something we'd love you to do. Before the carol services and all the Christmas events, I want to encourage you to open your home to friends and neighbours in your community and to invite them in. We did this for the first time in years uh, last Christmas. It was absolutely brilliant. And the reason we did it is because we put it in our diary three months ahead because Christmas gets busy, doesn't it? So why do you put it in your diary now that on the first or the second weekend in December before the carol service, you invite friends, family, uh, and neighbors into your home as a simple offer of hospitality in Jesus' name? Then final thing I just want to talk about is uh, the changes we're bringing to our evening services starting tonight. So uh, you heard the, the exciting news. It's shorter. Wow. It, you know, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible how long church meetings were. And somehow we can get in a rut sometimes that they have to be an hour and a half, two hours long. You know, what I read in the Gospels is that people had encounters with Jesus in seconds sometimes. It's not about the length, it's about the quality. And therefore, we want, we're realizing, apparently, interesting stat, the average attention span of Gen Z, which is anybody under the age of, 25 or something like that, is eight seconds. It's actually shorter than a goldfish. <laughs> and, but, but here's the thing, I, I watch my kids and they're, they're doing their homework, they're watching YouTube, they're listening to music, watching TV, all at the same time. And when we say do one thing at a time, they just find it all a bit slow and a bit boring. Therefore, we, we just want to use this event on Sunday evenings to invite new people in, to invite a new generation in to be a really good landing spot for people coming to King's. A couple of years ago, when we started the evening meetings, we'd hoped that it might grow into a second congregation of King's. To be honest, that hasn't quite worked as we anticipated. In fact, most people who come to the evening tend to say, do you do a morning service? And they come to the morning and say, oh, we much prefer the morning. <laughs> so we thought, rather than try and keep forcing this thing, thought, let's try and make this different. So there's going to be shorter preaching. There's going to... <laughs> okay. Uh, shorter preaching, but focused. We're going to be talking about the kingdom of God starting tonight. Uh, there's going to be uh, the other thing, weird thing we found on Sunday evenings was that everybody sat five rows apart from one another. And people would come in and say, Does nobody talk to each other in this church? We want to create real community. Therefore, we're going to have a regular social event straight after each of these evening services. Uh, tonight, it's going to be down in the hub. Some weeks, it's going to be in the pub where we just hang out and we just get to know one another and just try and build relationship, uh, which is very much at the heart of what we are as a church. 
The other thing we found was that when we repeated the preaching morning and evening, it didn't give us an opportunity to develop new preachers and, and, and other people with gifts. So therefore, evening preaching is going to be a different thing than the morning preaching. We're going to have different series, different teaching, and we're going to use it as an opportunity to also develop those with potential teaching gifts within King. So I'm really, really excited about it. And uh, I'd love to invite you along. You're welcome to come morning and evening, or just morning, or however you want to do that. You're welcome to come and see what God does. Oh, the other thing we're going to do, we're going to bring the band right down onto the floor, and we're going to gather the chairs around. It just all felt a bit them and us, you know what I mean? The whole band up here. and So we're going to change that, just make it a much more relational feeling meeting where we can have contributions, the gifts of the Spirit, and all of that happening as well. So, wildly important news. Ordinary people like you and me, radical community which God is building, and using people who are deliberately obedient to his word. We want to be deliberate. But let's not forget the very last verse. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You can have the word, W-O-R-D, but it's nothing unless you have the Lord, L-O-R-D. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need him in our lives. We need him in our church. And we are utterly dependent on him in this next season.